Good morning, Canyon Hills. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Canyon Hills Friends Church, and it's just so exciting to see each and every one of you joining us this morning. If you could take a moment to pass that basket of pens down your row so everyone has something to write with and open up your apps or uh, your tablets or your phones to our app, that would be great so you can follow along with today's message. For those of you who don't know, about five years ago, we launched and helped plant a church, our sister church in Fresno, California, and uh, now there are about just over 350 people in regular attendance, and we're actually partnering with them right now to move into a new campus. It's about 20,000 square feet, and in this new campus in the central valley of Fresno, they're going to have such an amazing outreach and impact in their community like never before, becoming one of the most influential churches in all of of Fresno. And so as we continue in our series of habits this morning, we're very delighted and honored to have with us one of the pastors from our sister church in Fresno, Ryan Panair. So you help me welcome Ryan up to the stage. Awesome. Woo! Thank you, man. Thank you, brother. So in first service, uh, I sat over here because I didn't realize this monstrosity was in the way. And I got up and I was like, oh, I immediately know whose idea that was. Uh, I've known Dave since high school. Uh, he is now my brother-in-law. So when I mock him, and I will be mocking him, you can laugh. It's okay. Um, <clears throat> Elisa is my sister. Uh, I'm sort of like a short-haired, chubby version of my sister. So you're not freaking out. We look too much alike. That's why I grew the beard, actually. And I couldn't tell if that makes her masculine or me feminine. I'm not sure. Uh, I have to thank you guys. So you most likely don't know this, uh, but you are kind of rock stars back in Fresno. Like your church, literally. We exist as a church because of you guys, because of your generosity, because of your love, because of Larry's vision, because of Hopper moving and... Seriously, you guys are fantastic. So I want to say thank you from myself, from Pastor Joe. I, we, we do a co-pastor thing. It's totally crazy. I don't advise it to anybody, but it's fantastic for us. Um, we want to just say thank you for allowing us to, one, have jobs. That's pretty cool. Um, but we see probably, um, we've, well, not probably. We've been counting for quite some time. Uh, we see at least six people a week. New people come to know Christ every single week, which is awesome. So you, you can clap for that. Thanks, Alec, for starting that. Um, it has been absolutely fun. Our church has been kind of this like uh, home for a lot of people who have had bad experiences in church. It's been this really cool kind of healing, this neat process. Uh, so we just say thank you. You guys are fantastic. We love you and thank you. Um, it's funny because when Hop first moved uh, back here to Southern California, he pulled me aside and he said, hey man, uh, I think I'm going to accept this job, so the church is yours. And I was like, oh no, thank you. That's totally cool. Because um, this is really, this is pretty crazy. I don't know if you guys knew this. That's why we chose to have two of us kind of doing it. Um, it's really intense, and so I said no, and then I prayed through it and kind of felt the Lord steering and guiding, and God did some really cool things, um, and you guys have been probably more of a help than you know. Um, this has really been kind of a life, like, 
Fresno is really seeing some cool stuff because of you guys. I really can't stress it enough. I'll stop. You guys don't care about yourselves, apparently. <laughs> you guys aren't that excited about yourselves. Um, so you guys are in this habits series. This is really fun. Uh, you're talking about, I went through, you're talking about the Bible, prayer, stewardship, solitude, evangelism, and serving. I went through that list and I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. I would bet that most of us in this room, whether you believe in God or not, you would go through that list and you'd be like, yeah, no, I actually think all of those are very good things. Serving others is a great exercise to kind of help you realize that you're not the center of the universe, right? Putting others first, kind of a helpful thing, right? We would all agree with that. Um, I think when, when you serve, there is this cool kind of switch that flips where you start to realize that everyone is the same. I actually think that's one of the best things about serving is you go, man, no one's better than anyone else. We just reach out. So I was totally excited to see the Laguna Beach thing. So I'm like, yes, that, that's the type of stuff that kind of grounds us as people. Solitude or spending time alone with no distractions, that's a really great practice in life. Most people, again, take God out of it. Most people would say solitude, time without distraction, is a really healthy thing. It recenters us. It's actually got health benefits. You know that? It'll lower your blood pressure. It lowers stress. It can even lower cholesterol. It's a pretty amazing thing. They've done study after study. And stewardship, well, that's kind of a no-brainer in my opinion. It's pretty obvious that you should take care of what you have. Even Spider-Man's Uncle Ben would say, with great power comes great responsibility, right? You've got both Uncle Bens here since both movies were terrible. I don't, like, when are they going to do a good Spider-Man? I don't know. Uh, do you guys like Spider-Man? That was like an angry grumble in the crowd. <laughs> Spider-Mans are terrible movies. Like, anyway. Um, the last one was okay. The next one should be good. Again, no one cares. Um, but I get the Bible, which here's the deal. The Bible's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit more controversial, if we're really honest. Even in Christian circles, a, there's a lot of debate about how much of the Bible is allegory and how much is literal, how much is trustworthy, and how much is just taken from other sources. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a few minutes and I want to go through the validity of Scripture. I want to talk about why Scripture matters. And then I want to walk through a Scripture that changed my life years ago. And I want to show you why actually making the Bible a habit is a very, very cool thing and can actually do some special things in your life. But before that, in order to get there, I want to give you a little bit of background. Um, I grew up in pretty much a Christian home. Uh, my parents were phenomenal. They followed the Lord. They prayed a lot. When I was really young, I actually had some crippling asthma. I had terrible asthma. couldn't run, couldn't do anything. And then my parents were praying for me one day. I can remember the room. I was really young. My parents were praying for me, and my father got a vision of my lungs clearing up. And from that day forward, I never had asthma again. My sister loves this story because if you know her, she has had breathing issues her entire life. They're actually getting worse. So she's always like, oh, I'm so happy you were healed. <laughs> we're going to talk about that in a minute too. But because of that experience, because of a lot of experiences when I was young, seeing God as this very real, powerful thing, um, I got into vocational ministry right out of high school. I actually became a youth intern in our youth group. 
absolutely loved it. When I graduated college, I took a full-time pastoral job in a college group. Our college group grew. It was the largest college ministry in Central California. Totally fun seeing God do some awesome things. And then I started preaching a lot, like way too much. Um, I got asked to speak everywhere. And so what I would do, and I had this thing where I would never repeat a sermon and I would never use somebody else's sermon. So there was one point where I was um, preparing, writing, and preaching four to six sermons per week, which is, I don't know, it's just laughable if you're a preacher, by the way. It's just ridiculous because it takes hours. And so I was doing that. That's literally all I was doing. And then one time I remember sitting down and I was studying through Acts and I read the story when Peter and John healed the paralyzed guy, if you can remember that story. And I read that and it kind of hit me because for the first time I realized that I don't live my life like any of the disciples in Scripture. I thought that they live a completely different lifestyle. They act totally different. Here I am, preaching all the time, leading hundreds and hundreds of people, and my life looks nothing like an actual disciple in Scripture. So I freaked out, had a total existential crisis, uh, called a buddy of mine who is actually here right now. This is Dr. Mike O'Leary, ladies and gentlemen, who is here. I love this guy. He's looking around too. See, I love this guy. Uh, so this is just kind of fun that he's here because I called him, um, this is years ago, and I said, dude, I don't think I'm a Christian. I need to go find God. And he had traveled quite a bit. And so he's like, oh, let's go somewhere. And so we bought two plane tickets to Southeast Asia. We had very little, if any, plans whatsoever. And our goal was to just go see if God still speaks to people the same way he did in Scripture. And spoiler alert, he totally does. Uh, and it was just an incredible experience. So he and I would kind of walk out. We'd ask God which direction to turn. We would wait for God to respond. We would bounce ideas off each other. It was an amazing trip of just watching God lead and move. I would love to come back and share that full story with you because it's like it was the most amazing time of watching God lead and move. But because of that trip, I actually kind of fell in love with what God did all over the world and started uh, traveling quite a bit. I took a job as the president of a missions organization or going to take over a missions organization. So I worked with them for a while and I got to travel all over the world experiencing Jesus in all different cultures through all different people. I was in Singapore and I actually stayed with, Mike and I both, we stayed with um, a doctor who started this kind of medical outreach where he would offer his services, and then it just started to grow, and it's become like a huge medical outreach for Singapore. It's become an incredible thing. In Kuala Lumpur, uh, we went to a dialysis clinic um, where a bunch of doctors and nurses volunteered their time so that impoverished people, it was right in the middle of a slum, so that impoverished people could actually receive really high levels of health care. It was really just incredible. On the Mentawai Islands off the west coast of Sumatra, we stayed with a, a family and they were Christians, and they actually opened the back of their home the, to, for travelers to stay with them, and they prayed for uh, and shared the gospel with everyone who stayed with them. It was a pretty awesome thing, because in Indonesia, there's about 1% Christian, and it's really dangerous to share your faith, and they were very open about it, so it was really amazing to kind of meet them, spend time with them. They lived one of the simplest lives I'd ever seen. On the same island, we were riding motorcycles, actually, one day, and uh, felt the Lord leading us to this area. We kind of went, and there was this clearing, and there was a house in the middle of the jungle. It was just in the middle of nowhere. And I turned to Mike, and I said, man, 
uh, I really feel like God is leading us over to that house. And he was like, I think you're crazy, and we're going to die. Um, but it was like the 20th time on this trip that we thought we were going to die, so he was like, let's do this. And so he rides over to it. We get there, we knock on the door, and this elderly Indonesian couple opens the door, and in very broken English, and we spoke very broken Bahasa Indonesia, which was funny, and we tried to communicate, and as we're speaking with them, we realize that they're telling us that they're Christians, and that they were just praying that God would show them that he's real, that God would show them that, that he still loves them. And it was just amazing. So two weird American dudes come knocking on your door talking about God. It was just this really cool thing. And it's funny because I've told this story for years. And I've always kind of thought like, oh man, look what God did for us. Like that was very cool because we were there really kind of seeking God, trying to figure out if God still speaks and hearing his voice and how that works. We go knock on this door and it's like, oh my gosh, it totally, thank you God, you spoke to us. And I only realized, and this is how dense I am, I only realized about a year ago that that was far more about those people and that couple than it was us. God absolutely loves them. God absolutely wants to meet with each and every one of us. And so I think for a lot of us, we sit here, we come to church, like this is great, but we want more. Can anyone, that's been my whole life, by the way. Do you ever just feel like, it's like, this is great, I love it. I'm happy for my life. But if I read the Bible, I'm like, I think there's more for us as his kids. I think he's got greater things for us. I think what happens so oftentimes is we think, man, I want more, so I'll just go on doing the normal thing in my life. And I'm like, oh, that's, there's got to be more. And I think what happens a lot of times is that we forget about some of the simple things like asking and reading the Bible. We don't make those priorities in our life. And so I would encourage you, if that's you and you're kind of like, man, I want more, just ask God. Ask God to, to do something, to show up. Mike and I will drive to your house and just show up. It'll be fantastic. It'll be really, really fun. Um, but ask, and then we're going to talk about Bible in a second. Um, I worked in Guatemala for a while, and I worked with a woman. Uh, her name was Tita. They called her the Guatemalan Mother Teresa. When she was on her deathbed, she didn't know God. She prayed out and cried out to God and said, if you save my life, I'll serve you the rest of my days. Well, he did save her life. And so she said, well, I have to honor that commitment. And when she got out of bed, she actually went into this place called La Limanada. It is the largest urban slum in Central America. It is run by 10 different gangs. There are 10 different gang districts in this area. It's a half mile wide by one mile long. And there's an estimated 100,000 people that live here kind of wrap your brain around that. They are stacked on top of each other. It is a sewage ravine. So at the bottom, there is a sewage canal. People dive into the sewage canal for trash uh, to recycle, to make a little bit of money. If you have an address in La Limanada, no one in Guatemala City will give you a job. You cannot get educated. There's nothing you can do. So this is just uh, poverty running rampant. Tita is the only woman that anyone knows of that can walk in throughout the entire La Limanada area through all the gang districts without any trouble whatsoever. Everyone else, and this is, it's a little bit weird, if you cross a gang line without knowing it, they kill you on sight. There are countless stories of people who get off the bus at the wrong stop only to try and get on the next bus, and they're dead before the next bus comes. She's the only person, because when she first 
got off her deathbed to go here because she didn't know what to do. She just started praying for people. And one by one, she saw more and more people get healed, more and more people come to know Christ. She's single-handedly revolutionizing this area. She has since started a ministry that was one of the coolest ministries to ever be a part of, where she has started four schools within La Limonada where the kids can get educated and she gets them different addresses outside of La Limonada so they, they can get jobs. She has started two safe houses to combat human trafficking in the area. It is absolutely amazing. The list goes on and on. I have worked with and met incredible people all over the world doing amazing things. And they all have a few things in common. And I know this because I've spoken with each of them in depth about this kind of stuff. They all have a list of habits in their life. Most of them are on the list that we're going to be going over throughout the next few weeks. I would encourage you guys to be here for this whole series because each one of these things is actually very profound, more than I think we would give them credit for. But the main one that most of them talk about is the fact that they have a regular time reading the Word. It's one of those things that, that you get saved, you meet Jesus, you come to this realization, I want God in my life, it's actually the, the best way to get to know who that God is and what he's like. The problem is, there's a lot of debate about the Bible. So real quick, I want to walk through some different things as to the validity of Scripture. Most of us doubt or would never doubt the existence of guys like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Caesar. We would never doubt them or their writings. And if you look at this real quick, this is something that is very interesting to me. A guy like Plato, um, he has some awesome writings. He says, when wise men, or I'm sorry, wise men speak because they have something to say, fools because they have to say something. That is an awesome one. If you know people that talk too much in your life, like me, that's a great one. Um, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. That is an awesome one. They've got great writings. Most of us have probably heard these. We'd probably attribute these to them. We have zero problem saying, oh, yeah, no, Plato was a real guy. Plato wrote this stuff. But if you look at this, the earliest copy of his that we have was dated 1,200 years after he was around. That was the first one that we found. And we only have seven. But it's kind of laughable to be like, Plato wasn't real, right? That's kind of goofy. We would never do that. Aristotle. Aristotle is another guy that most of us know about. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act. It's a habit. We have found 49 copies of his works. The earliest copy was written 1,400 years after he was around. So things get passed around in oral tradition. They finally write them down 1,200 and 1,400 years later. We have zero problems saying, yeah, no, this is valid. Homer, who's the author of the Iliad, had 643 copies, with the earliest one found 500 years after he was around. That's incredible. And we're like, great, Homer's real. His writings are credible. They can be trusted. But look at the New Testament here. That's hilarious, right? There are over 24,000 copies of the New Testament, with the earliest one being found just 25 years after it was written. So you know what that means? 
That means all the stories in it, the people were still around that were in those stories. So when that thing first got passed around and everybody's reading it, there was a bunch of people who could go, nope. Or like, yeah, that's it. And no one fought it because it's legitimate. It's all true. Those over 24,000 copies, they are over 95% accurate with the most of the discrepancies come from little grammatical errors like switching a and and. The people who transcribed scripture were so serious about this because they believed that they were transcribing the word of God that they did not make mistakes. So scripture is valid. It's consistent. You can trust it. There are some other really cool things like that the person of Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies. There are over 330 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, distinct, different Old Testament prophecies. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. There's a professor by the name of Peter Stoner, which I don't know why is my favorite name ever, but he did some calculations, and he said that if you fulfilled just eight of those 332 prophecies, just eight of them, the probability of one man fulfilling those is 10 to the 17th power. That's it. Look, that's ridiculous. That's 100 quadrillion, by the way. That's one with 17 zeros. That is just a little bit bigger than California's debt. But we'll get there, don't worry. I'm not political at all, by the way. I couldn't care less. I don't even know which side that would offend. I have no idea. I, don't know, I just say things that are political and people get mad and I'm like, I don't even know if that's good or bad. Um, but we could seriously... This is the kind of stuff that I could talk about forever. The validity of scripture, who Jesus was, I think it's amazing. But if you get to this point where you're like, yeah, that's great, and now do I just read the Bible? Like, how does this work? This is what scripture can do. This is the scripture that actually changed my life years ago, sent me down on a very different path that I was on. And I want to go through it with you real quick. This is Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple beautiful in order to beg for alms of those who were entering the temple. So get this picture in your mind. Peter and John are going to the temple at the same time every day for as long as they're there. This is an incredibly liturgical practice. Most of us would actually call it very religious. And the funny thing is, something in Christianity years ago kind of moved, and like religious is a bad word in Christianity now. It's like, oh, don't. And it's funny, seriously, the minute I said it, most of you were like, mm, nope, you're getting like dirty looks from you guys, like don't say the R word in our building. It's okay. First of all, settle down, everybody. We're just talking. This is just relax. Religion, which is kind of funny, is just a, a set set of beliefs, usually about God. It's literally the definition of religion. It's okay. Liturgical practices are great. Most of us shy away from them because we get a little freaked out that somehow we're going to like hurt this relationship. I hear all the time in Christianity it's like Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And I'm like, ah, it's both. Let's just settle down. It's both. You believe in God, for crying out loud. 
But we're afraid about these like religious practices because what it might do. But here's the deal. We have Jesus's very own disciples being very liturgical, being very disciplined in these things. And here's the deal. I actually think most of us could probably have a really great experience with Jesus if we instilled some of these habits. If we actually said, look, this isn't me. And here's the deal. And this is what you guys probably don't know. And this is this is why. Uh, I'm like the least traditional person in the world. If someone tells me to do something, if someone says like, hey man, this is really good for you, I will not do it. It's just period. There's not a chance. This is a true story. You guys remember when uh, everybody first started talking about it, they like, did all these studies and they're like, oh, everybody should drink eight cups of water a day. And the whole world was like, oh, I'll drink my eight cups of water. I was like, uh-uh, this is... This is some sort of conspiracy. I'm going to stop drinking water, and I'll show everybody. So all my friends are like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, apparently really hurting myself because I am terribly thirsty. Uh, that's just, I can't stand like traditions. I, I honestly, it's really hard for me, you guys. But when it comes to this type of stuff, I started thinking about, could you imagine what your life would be like if you instilled, let's just say half of these habits in your life? If on a regular basis, you read your Bible, you met with like-minded Christians, you prayed, listened to the Holy Spirit, and then like obeyed what you felt like the Holy Spirit was doing. Let's say that's all you did. Could you imagine how different your life and the rest of the world would be? Could you imagine how transformative that would be if Christians just said, you know what, I'm going to put the priority on what needs to be. I'm not going to think about my wealth. I'm not going to think about my happiness. I'm not going to think about those things. I want to think about what is God's will. And here's the crazy thing. God's will is for you to have joy and peace. So it's actually better for you. I'm just saying, I could talk about that forever, but apparently there's a clock on this screen that I have to watch. Very difficult. We don't have clocks in Fresno. So I don't actually have to pay attention to anything. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. This is one of my favorite uh, pieces of this whole story, because if you remember, Peter and John were both disciples of Jesus, and years ago, Jesus intervened in their life, and he changed everything, right? He showed up. They were fishing. They were working. They were literally at their jobs. They were working. Jesus showed up, and he's like, drop everything. And they're like, okay. And they dropped everything, and they followed him. They gave up all of their, pretty much all of their possessions. They walked around very poor. They had nothing to their name, and they followed Jesus. And so when they walk by this guy that they've walked by all the time, he's like, hey, guys, you have any spare change? And what I love is that they were like, dude, look at us. Does it look like we have spare change? That's exactly what they're saying here, by the way. They're like, are you kidding? We don't have anything to give you from this earth. But what we do have, we freely give you. And I love this idea because they actually know who they are and what they have. And here's the really crazy part about Christianity that I feel like no one likes to talk about, and it drives me a little crazy. Jesus is calling you to change all the time. This is super weird. A lot of us come to Jesus and then we're like, okay, I, now I'm going to heaven. I've got like a stamp card. Like, this is my heaven card. 
and I'm happy. And Jesus is like, ah, it doesn't really work like that. Like, change every aspect of your life. I didn't know when I first got started on this crazy journey that it, Jesus is literally saying, I want you to be a different person. I want you to change virtually everything in your life. I want you to go from selfishness and pride and greed to serving others, putting others above yourself. He wants to change every aspect of your life. I know this is not a great pep talk. I get that, but here's the deal. If Jesus calls you to change, it's for the best in your life. This is what we forget all the time. Jesus says, our God is the best father you could ever fathom. He wants nothing but the best for you. He wants only your good. He's on your side every step of the way. He's for you and you. That's like how it works. He loves you. So if he says, hey, I want you to read your Bible more. I want you to tithe 10% and we're like, what are you, crazy? I live on 140% of what I make. How am I going to tithe 10%? What are you, nuts? When he says to do that, it's for your good. Here's what I think we forget all the time. Reading your Bible, it doesn't make heaven better in any way. Reading your Bible doesn't make God go like, phew, it's good that he read that because now like, people can still believe in me. It's not like Santa Claus. It's not like that. You read your Bible and he calls you to read your Bible for your good. This is beneficial for you and you alone. And it's so funny because we shy away from it. We don't want to do it. We kind of freak out like, oh, God, how am I going to find time for solitude? How am I going to find time to read my Bible? How am I going to find 10% to give you? God says, look, do it. Trust me. It's for your benefit. So Peter and John would have seen this guy countless times. They would have walked by him every single day. Yet something was different this time. And they turned to him, and Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were straightened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Here's the deal. I have had the opportunity to travel all over the world, see incredible things, work with amazing people who are doing things for God. I have seen phenomenal miracles. And every time I read this scripture, I have the exact same thought. Why didn't God heal this guy before? They walked by him as disciples of Christ countless times. Why didn't God heal him before this day? I have no idea. Isn't that great? Aren't you stoked you showed up? You're like, he was about to give us the secret to the universe. Then he pulls that crap. Like, that's not fair. Here's the deal. I genuinely have no idea. There are times in my life where I have seen God do incredible things and I was like barely a part of it. There are times where I've been praying earnestly and I'm like, oh, I'm sure God's gonna do it and nothing. And it dawns on me when I read this that this is actually what gives me all the hope and peace. It's because I'm not in the middle of this. 
I'm not the center of this in any way, shape, or form. Nothing I do changes that. There's no performance that I can make. You guys can't like do a special thing and like a dance and make it rain. That we're not at the middle of this. This is not according to our will. And I love that because that means that our job is exactly the same. No matter where you work, no matter what your family's like, no matter what's going on in your life, our job is exactly the same. It's to walk in step with God, to love him, hear his will, and just do that. That's it. The miracles, the amazing things, those may happen, they may not. You don't understand it. You don't get it because you're not God. That, to me, is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. So here's the deal. The life that God has for you is filled with wonder and abundance. He wants the absolute best for you. But for a lot of us, we're only going to start to understand it. We're only going to start to live into the abundant life that John 10.10 talks about when we kind of instill some of these habits in our lives so that we can hear the voice of God more, so that we can understand what God has for us and who God is and what he's like in Scripture. So be here for this series. Listen to these habits. Implement them in your life. And here's the beauty of it all. What you're going to do is like most of you are like, this is awesome. I'm going to like make this time every morning and I'm going to read my Bible You're going to do that for like three days, and then you're going to forget, and then two days go by, and you're like, I'm going to hell. Like, I told God I was going to do something, and I didn't do it, and he's going to like kick me in the face. I don't know how it works. I don't know spiritual fighting. I don't know. But the great part about God is that he's fine. The great part about our relationship with God is he's like, yeah, that's fine. You miss days. It doesn't matter. God doesn't dislike you at all. God is not the God of fear and shame and guilt. It's not what he does. Miss a day, then get back to it. Just make reading your Bible a real thing and a real habit in your life. We have to remember that God is our perfect, loving Father, and he wants nothing but the best for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for, I thank you for your word. I thank you for... Um, I thank you for giving us something that we can understand you a little bit better, that this is not left up to us, that we have to just figure things out, but that we have something that we can read to better understand you, to better know your will, your personality, Lord, who you are. So I thank you for that. Some of us are sitting here this morning, and we're hearing all this, and it sounds great, um, but we don't really get it because we haven't really started that journey yet. So with every head bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here this morning and you hear that and you think, man, I, I do want to know this God more. There's a step that we take. It, in, in, scripture says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. It's really that simple. So we want to give you that opportunity this morning. And that, that belief is, is just kind of a, a simple prayer. And if, here's the deal. I'm going I'm to say this prayer. You can repeat it after me verbatim out loud to yourself. But just say kind of in your own words, just, God, I know I need you. God, I can't do this life without you. Jesus, I invite you into my life. 
because I believe that you are exactly who you said you are. I believe that you lived on this earth a sinless life, that you died on a cross to conquer sin and rose from the grave to conquer death. And Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life to lead and guide me through everything. And the other piece to that is it says that you confess. And for us here, what we're going to do is just a, a hand raise. And so if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we're not going to call you forward. We're not going to embarrass you. Every head bowed and eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, lift up your hand so we can pray for you. That's all we're going to do. If you prayed that for the very first time. We also believe a really special moment is for those of us who have prayed that prayer before, we're in the family of God, but something in here stirred us and moved us, and we said, man, I, I had to make a commitment again. I had to make reading my Bible this, this real thing, so I made this commitment this morning. We believe that's a special thing. So if, if you did that, if you kind of are recommitting this morning and saying, man, I, I'm going to make reading my Bible a, a regular thing, I'm going to commit to that. If you prayed that prayer again, would you just lift up your hand so that we can keep you in prayer? Amen. Amen. So, Father, I thank you for the work that you have started, Lord. I pray that you just continue in all of us, Lord. I pray that we walk out of these doors differently than we walked in. And I just thank you for all that you're doing in this church. I thank you for them listening, them following, them obeying, Lord, and actually planting churches all over the place and just seeing you move in different areas, Lord. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and for the people here. So I thank you and I praise you, and above all else, your will be done. In your precious name, amen.